I think that like I really needed I really needed like uh like my dad at that time and he wasn't there and I didn't understand why he couldn't just figure out this parenting thing just figure it out man like you have a son like figure it out like ask another question or like it's it was mad frustrating you know as a kid Hello, gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Mask Ulinity Podcast, a space designed to help redefine what it means to be a powerful man in the modern era. I'm your co-host, CK. And I'm your co-host, A Squared, Anwar Ahmed. And today we're going to be talking a lot about fatherhood, what our father relationship looks like. We're going to be talking a little bit about who is Simba's real father. Uh, but before we even do that, you know what time it is. Moochek! Hey, 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 Coach Kyle! <laughs> How's your day, man? How's oh, it going? Baby, it was a good day. It's been a great day so far. Um, I'm, I'm being completely honest with you. There's a little bit of anxiety coming up for this podcast episode. I'm going to okay. be honest. Okay. Talking about fathers, talking about my past with fathers and the experience. It's, to explain that to the world. You got to get to a place. You got to get to a place. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I could tell right before this, I was like, oh, Oh, we're about to do this, eh? Damn. All right, it's about to get real. Okay, got it. That's why I was running through hallways. Literally running down the hallways trying to boost my energy. Other than that, though, I'm pumped. I'm amped. I'm ready to do this. Let's get vulnerable, baby. I knew knew we were going to have to get deep today, so I put on the Laker colors for the fans because you know what time it is when the purple and gold is on. That's a mood check in itself. I'm locked in. The LA Lakers are champs. I'm ready to do justice to this podcast today. I'm excited. This is... um, good times it's a good topic i think you need to kind of understand it's an important question to understand where did you know your relationship with your father come from or how is it or i just think it's a very important podcast so i'm excited to get into it me too me too so stemming off of last podcast as always guys we were out here and we were asking you the question leading into today which i'm going to start with and i'm going to dive right into this man's right across from me here anwar who taught you how to be a man growing up? Who taught me how to be a man? Um, not just one person. Not just one person. Not just one person. I think they're not ready. That 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 title definitely belonged to my dad. I was fortunate enough to have my dad in my life. Let's start with saying that. Like I had my dad. He was in my life. He played a big role in my life. Um, but there's a lot of people who taught me um, kind of how to be a man and how to grow up. My, my dad being the first person I idolized as kind of my father figure, my male figure. But my mom taught me a lot about being a man too, Mm. tons. Um, I think my mom more so even than, you know, sometimes my dad, my mom kind of, I've said in the previous episodes, my mom kind of carried that, that, that very strong personality, that assertiveness, that, um, that, that, that confident, that no matter what you get it done, my mom carried a lot of those traits. Um, So though my dad was the person I was looking to for what I thought would be a man and those kind of qualities. My mom was doing a lot of quietly teaching of, you know, good job, son. And um, so my mom was, those are the two definitely people in the household. And then there's all these people externally. You know, I feel like once you run, you run your course at home and you found all the answers that you kind of need, then you start looking for other areas. Mm, Right. Um, You start looking for other men in, you know, the communities and in society and role models. Um, Big role model of mine, LA Lakers, Kobe Bryant, huge you know rest in peace he was a huge huge 
played a huge role in my life. Um, and in, in me finding that kind of, that manhood, I, I kind of idolized his, his demeanor, um, his, his, his kind of his intelligence, his, his will to kind of almost morph life into how he wanted it to be. And mm. I took a lot of qualities from Kobe Bryant, but it was interesting because I've always kind of had this visual of being a dad and being a father. And, you know, Kobe Bryant never, I never really saw Kobe Bryant as a dad when I was younger following him. It was a lot more the, the Mamba mentality, the, the, the assassin and so Will Smith was kind of the dad that I, Ooh, I looked forward to. So yes. it was the duality of them both in terms of like celebrities or people that I looked up to. It was like the Mamba mentality of Kobe Bryant, his demeanor, kind of how he attacks his purpose and his passion. And then the, the blend of Will Smith and how he kind of showed up for his family and how he was as a man kind of in that, that kind of essence. So those are the two people. Um, and then my basketball coach, my high school basketball coach mm. taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about being a man. And I shared an example in the last episode of, you know, a couple of big moments where he, he really, he really highlighted that there's different ways to be a man. That was the first time I looked at someone and I was around someone who he was kind of my father outside of the home. He, cause he would see us in pain, right? You would lose a game or you would need that kind of guidance. So his feedback to what he would say to us carried a lot of weight, you know, from one game to the next, to the next, to seasons. He coached us, you know, he coached me for two seasons, three seasons almost. Um, and so he played a big role in my maturing years, you know, 16, 17, 18, when you're asking bigger questions. Um, so those are, those are the main people that played a big role in my life. What about yourself? That's crazy. I mean, for all of those listening right now, I'm sure you're potentially kind of confused, but you're also potentially having an eye-opening moment because when we ask the question, who taught you how to be a man, the question pretty much goes straight to the father. Mm-hmm. That's just the traditional way, but looking at it, you don't see it any other way, but they didn't teach you everything. And I think that's where we put a lot of pressure on fathers is he needs to teach me everything. Whereas all the other men aren't capable of doing that or don't provide any value. So for those listening, he just described to you, I think six or seven, if not more different people that taught him how to be a man in each in their own rights. So that's why we pose this question for me. When I look back, you know, for a different context, who taught me how, who taught me how to be a man? My answer when I was asked this question before this episode was, I felt like I did. And now I'm going to explain a little bit why, because as I look back through my childhood, I had many fathers mm-hmm. throughout my lifetime. Many, I had my biological father, I had stepfathers. So I learned from all of them, but for the most part, I never felt like I was really learning what to do from a lot of these people. I always felt like I was learning what not to do. Right. So, so I was watching, I was analyzing, and I was constantly looking at what they were doing and how the crowd was reacting, how the people around them were responding to the emotions they were expressing, the words they were saying. And I was recognizing how I felt in those moments too and what was going on. And I, I look back and I realized... You know, yeah, they were probably teaching me what not to do without them realizing it. But at the same time, I had to teach myself what I felt would be the right thing to do in that situation because of this constant analyzing. So I'm smiling because it's just the coach in you is just like showing up in such a young body, you know, like true. You've, been, you've been this, true. you've been a coach for how long you were just analyzing what not to do, <laughs> what to do at such a young age. It's just, it's crazy. I never realized stuff. that. That was good. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I, I'm not giving myself the self-righteousness, but that's just kind of my answer that I came up with. So there were people, obviously my biological father 
who isn't in the picture, uh, my stepfather, which was my first one. Then I had another stepfather and it's just kind of been a space. I don't know if I mentioned this in the last episode, but my mom had me when she was 15 years old. So in that space, there are not men in the picture. <laughs> and it's not that it's their fault. There's just not healthier versions of men as opposed to, let's say, somebody who is, you know, it's in their a later 20s. Complicated situation. It's a complicated situation. Right. So right out of the gate, I was prone to boyish masculinity or boyish boyishness. And that was just due to the nature of the circumstance. So again, I learned more about what to do, what not to do. And then I grew up and I came across my first mentor uh, who really taught me a lot. He was my manager, my, my GM at a restaurant. He taught me a lot. I had an uncle who came into the picture who taught me a lot and still does. And then, you know, what was funny. My mother obviously was a huge component of it because she was the one required to fill that role. But what I realized, I started looking at my schooling. And when I looked at my schooling, I was like, okay, who were the men around that were teaching me how to be a man? And I couldn't find any. And I was like, how's that possible? How am I not finding any men in my circle of school growing up? And then I realized it was the girl, it was the women teachers. The women teachers were teaching me more about responsibility, about integrity, about humility, about a lot of these things that I would t further take down the line into really high value as a man. They were teaching me things like life's not fair. I was taught that by my English teacher who was a female. So it was just crazy to me how I realized looking back that it, a lot of it was not men. And that a lot, that was alarming. That was a little that's, alarming. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, that is, that is, that is interesting. Cause so for the, for the, for the listeners and you know, the people who are watching on YouTube, we kind of pose these questions to ourselves separately and then we go and do a little deep dive. So it's, it's, it, there are, there are our own PQs and we come in here and we kind of talk about the PQ. So, when we do PQs, we don't tell each other our answers. We just no. say, hey, this is our PQ and go do your, <laughs> do your little self-assessment. So we do exactly what we would hope you, you would do on this show is just take these PQs and kind of think for yourself. So when you think who taught you how to be a man, like Kyle said, you originally go to one place and then you have to think about, okay, well, who am I and who kind of made me who I am? And that ultimately will kind of lead you to different, different areas. Because there were so many women in my life, I almost was so opposite to that, where you were saying, like, I was like, there's my sisters, there's my mom, there's my dad, who's kind of already teaching me empathy and compassion. I literally only seeked out actual, like, men, men. Mm. I didn't even seek out females at all for any, like, men guidance. Like, I was very much like, I'm going to hear it from a man, I'm going to hear it from a man. Because mm. that's what I was, like, craving, essentially. That's what I needed. So on, you find like, you know, the black mamba and you find these men, you know, right. you find these people that, but then you find them because other people are attracted to them too. Like Will Smith, I could tell he had an aura, like everyone was attracted to this guy, you know, as a man. Um, so it's interesting that you say that, you know, not only did you grow up in a female dominated household um, and that there wasn't really any good example of that your, your, your path wasn't to go find, almost actively try to find someone to fill that, fill that void. You just went. I can do this. I'll figure out this on my own. I'll just use this. The, I'm used to hearing it from this side. I'll just continue to hear from this side and kind of navigate my way. Pretty much. So, yeah. It's very interesting. It was. And even if looking at those, you know, woman teachers, let's say, for example, they all were very powerful human beings. Mm -hmm. Like they came across, they were in your face. They were looking for the best. Like they were pushing you. They were driving you. They were no bullshit. They were there. So in that sense, a lot of that was exuding a little bit of the masculine energy. So I think that's probably why I attached to some of what they said and why it resonated with me so much uh, in the long run and why I still see that as part of the 
people who were teaching me how to be me, how to be a man growing up. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're getting too far from the point here. I think the people want to know why the hell we named the podcast Who is Simba's Father? We know The Lion King. We've seen The Lion King. There's no one out there that hasn't. And from epic what Epic film. Epic film. Epic. So many life lessons that are showing up in our adulthood that we didn't even realize. But you're an avid Lion King fan. Right out of the gate. First, first response, who is Simba's father? Well, the obvious answer is Mufasa. Okay. But when you think about that movie, it's, it's a story of a man's whole journey of becoming a man, right? And so you have to take into consideration all the different elements that he goes through. But Mufasa was definitely the first kind of father figure for him. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, like if you think about it, who really taught him how to be a man? Well, because Mufasa died. Mufasa dies. When he's a kid. So then who, who teaches him how to be a man? Right, because there's no father around anymore technically. Is it... Scar? Does Scar teach him how to be a father? Maybe teaches him what not to be. Right? Experienced a lot in that in my, my life. Feel like I've had some scars in my life, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. That actually worked well. Scars in my life? Yeah, yeah. But when you think about it, I think if you take about like Nala, for example, her character in that movie really shapes Mufasa, um, Simba to be who, the man that he is. Then you think about Rafiki. Ooh, right? Rafiki. You think about Zazu's kind of like wisdom and guidance from, you know, he kind of was like a real uncle to me, Zazu. Like he had Mufasa's intentions in mind, but he kind of still like allowed Simba the space to kind of mature and not mm. kind of tell on him when, you know, he was sneaking off and doing things and he really kind of protected him in that way. So kind of let him fail forward a little bit. Mm. And then Timon and Pumbaa, the friends, they kind of gave him the confidence to be the man, you know, right. that he, he confessed his, you know, his problems to them and, that was a community. That would be like the brotherhood that you create with your, mm-hmm. with your guys and stuff. So, and they even had a mantra, right? Like that's how much they loved it. It means no worries. For the rest, rest of, of our days, it's our problem, problem free. Amazing film. but Philosophy. Hakuna <laughs> Matata. <laughs> but that, I think that You're when welcome. you really think about that movie, it really relates to this episode really well because who in your life, think about it, who in your life is really shaping your manhood and your journey because it's not just the easy answer sometimes mm. think harder and allow other people to help you become a man it doesn't need to come from a man you grew up with you know you, you know not a prominent male figure in your life a changing maybe a revolving door i grew up with you know a dad was there but he was a little bit more empathetic and more compassionate he kind of showed me a little bit more of my vulnerable side not necessarily some of those other qualities so it's about kind of learning lessons in different ways, ultimately. And I think that movie does a great job of painting that picture. Mm-hmm. And I like it because it gives me context of who was my Timon and Pumbaa? Who was my Mufasa? Who was my Rafiki? You know, who, who were those people in my life? And it really makes you, like you said, wonder like, who actually helped me be a man in this world. And I think it's a beautiful question. And who knew, right? I mean, looking at the movie Mufasa or um, Lion King, I just I never would have considered anybody else other than Mufasa growing up. Never. Until I started to analyze myself. Who helped me? Coach, you got some stats? I heard you got some stats. Well, you know, stats are funny things, aren't they? Stats are like boxes. The world really likes to put us in boxes. Yeah, Max Kellerman style. Right? And it's not really super enjoyable. However, on the flip side, in reality, stats are actually really helpful. 
They really help you understand things a little bit more. Guiding. And they guide you exactly. And so part of the process that we're, we're going through individually in this masculine space and the fatherhood space is a lot of psychological effects come from not having a father or having an uh, unexpressive father around or what have you. Your childhood plays a huge factor. So for me, growing up, I, interestingly enough, actually played into a lot of these stats. So it was really alarming. But I, the reason I was even looking them up in the first place was because I just wanted to know more about that experience and mm-hmm. if other people related to me. I think that's what Google is great for is you can find people who relate to you. So looking up the, some of the psychological impacts of fatherhood or potentially lack thereof. So these are the lack thereofs. We're more likely to be aggressive. We're more likely to be depressed. More likely to have low self-esteem, do poorly in school, be incarcerated and commit suicide, and more likely to do drugs. Now, when I read these off, obviously there's not a lot of optimism coming through this mic yeah, right no, now, right? But going through it, I look at certain pieces of my life and I'm not here trying to blame my father for these things, but growing up, I was in anger management classes. So I was aggressive. Um, I experience and have experienced depression in my adult years. Mm-hmm. Again, could be correlated. Um, I find myself in the low self-esteem, but not so much. I did very poorly in elementary school, very poorly. My beginning years in school, I did not do well. did great after that, just not in those spaces. Um, so it's just interesting that these stats come up. And, and for me, like I said, I attached to a lot of them and it made me feel a little better about that space. But again, stats are are just that they're just they're just stats and they're so unique to each person it just feels like there's like when you read those stats off you just feel like there's a hole you know you just feel like there's a hole and those are all kind of small versions of escape they're just micro like little like ways in which one would escape from the lack of support or the 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 hole they're trying to fill with something you know, and at a young age, when you're trying to figure, you're trying to navigate those things, like as much as those stats and all those things, like you said, there's not very much optimism there. It's not surprising either. Unfortunately, no. It's unfortunately not surprising either because where are you to get the feedback or the, the information to not do those things if those things are the only thing that are making you feel, I guess, alive in those moments? Mm. And then even when you're alive in those moments and you, you, who's the, who's the person who's helping you other than, cause it's very tough. And you know, if you're the mom and there's no father around, it's very tough for you to carry both agendas, right? Cause I see that, that you're the nurturer you're here to like take care of me and protect me. And then now I go do something a little bit that's like off the beaten path because I'm trying to fill some sort of maybe emptiness or some hole. Or I'm just trying to feel something. And then you got to go back to the same parent who already played that role. And now they have to change their role up. And then it's, it's what role are you playing for me? Right. You know, what, what role do you play for me? And then you, you, that's where I think taking advantage of someone who, you know, is I'm too far on one end or too far. It's hard for someone to split themselves in half. Cause right now I'm, I'm trying to discipline you right now. I'm trying to love you. And that's, that's hard to do sometimes simultaneously without losing the message. Right. And I think that behavior doesn't, it's not like it gets, um, it, it's not like it gets rewarded, but it doesn't also get condemned in the way that you might want to get it condemned because you're trying to still keep the person engaged enough to not lose them. So it's hard to kind of teach a lesson in that place. It's tough. It's That's diff- very tough. It's very difficult. And I, you know, I applaud, 
you know, people like my mother, for example, and for anybody who else who was raised by a single mother trying to do her best, you know, it's, I can't imagine what that would be like. And it's not that it's necessarily impossible to do. You can still raise a great child, but there is an integral part of development that comes from men, comes from that father. So it's let me important. ask you this. Let me ask you this. Hit me. Tell me. Because I think that there's also maybe a little bit of a narrative out there of, maybe not out there. It's my whole, this is wholehearted to be my, my own thing I'm making up in my mind. I want you to see if it's true. Sometimes when you want to hear your dad, for example, you think it's a speech that your dad's supposed to give you and your dad isn't there. You're getting the speech from somebody else. Do you not give the speech the, the acknowledgement it deserves because of the voice that it's coming from? Like, did you ever think I want, like, like leave me alone. Like, I just want my dad or I just want to speak to like a man. Like, did you ever have those feelings where you're getting the right lesson from your mom? She's telling you, but you're just not listening to her because you want to hear that from a man. Mm. Did that ever happen? Are you, were you like, is there ever a time where you just wanted to hear it from a man or you wanted to hear it from your dad? It's a good question. It's making me really reflect. I think that there were a lot of times in my life where it may have hit differently if it did come from a man. Yes. Uh, I don't think I recall a time where I was seeking that. Um, I had just didn't have a healthy relationship with my father right out of the gate. So for me, the idea of receiving feedback from a, let's say, father just wasn't really there for me. Uh, these was, were, were these stepfathers though, right? They were stepfathers. Stepfathers. So yeah. you already were kind of a little bit dis, disattached. Exactly. So there was all that level. So I wasn't really seeking it from them. Uh, I always felt like because my mother was the constant and has been my entire life, really the only main constant, it's just go to your, go to your mom, go yeah. to your mom. And of course, I know some other people are out there being like, oh, he's a mama's boy. hundred <laughs> percent. You're absolutely. I own the hell out of that title. I feel great about that. But it was just, it was interesting um, that you asked that because I, like I said, I recall situations, but none of them where I knew that I was looking for it from a father or a man. It was just that it was coming from my mom and maybe it didn't hit home the way it might have potentially. I don't know if it came from a man or a father figure. Yeah. I think the only other caveat or the only other thing I want to add to this conversation of like kind of statistics and kind of understanding is just people creating a little bit more awareness of the room itself. Right. And what I mean by that is just because you fit into one lane of statistics, right? So I don't fit into some of those statistics that you said, because my dad was around, my dad was in the household. Um, I always, I've, I always felt like there was a balance in the household. It's just, I was getting lessons from different sides. I thought, you know, there's a little bit more of just like the journey was different, but there wasn't an absence, but I've had friends who didn't grow up with a dad, right? Is this thing? Okay. I've had friends who didn't have a dad and just understanding that like not everyone is raised the same. Right. You know, so when you're when you're a brother to another brother or you're helping somebody out and you're seeing certain behaviors and certain traits, just be conscious of where did this person grow up? These stats are stats for a reason. Just because you don't fit the stat line doesn't mean you can't be more aware of the room. Exactly. Right? So that's what I would be. And I think what this podcast is here to do is to create a community. And in this community, we all have the different challenges that we're facing, right? in masculinity itself. Some of us are, had to be the, our own dads at young ages. Some of us had a dad, but didn't like that role model specifically. Some of us, you know, had a great dad, great role model. Didn't even need the Kobe Bryant's and the Will Smith's and they had it in their house. They didn't right. have to go nowhere for it. But that doesn't mean that we use that as a catalyst to judge other men or we use that as a, 
as a catalyst to like condemn behavior. Let's use it to understand the behavior. Absolutely. And still, you know, put your hands around your brothers and help each other out to, to create a better future and use the statistics. If you don't fit them, it doesn't mean that you're, you, you, you escape them. Absolutely. Great point. And really honestly, like collective brotherhood is what we're looking for as the purpose of this podcast. It's one of the driving forces is we just want to be here for each other because there isn't any reason why we shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have our differences, you know, um, so, and another thing too, just to, just to add on before we move forward is in these stats, they're likely to be aggressive. They're likely to be depressed. This is not a space to blame. This is not a space to guilt or shame or judge. It's just a space to become more aware. And there's a good Tony Robbins quote that says, if you're going to blame them for all the bad, you better make damn sure you blame them for all the good. Mm-hmm. Tony's that guy. Exactly. Love me some Tony. Exactly, right? If you're going to blame them for all this, these things you think you are, like aggressiveness and depression and low self-esteem and all these things, if you're going to blame them for all of that, make sure you blame them for all the good because in a way, they taught you potentially who to be or who not to be. And mm-hmm. that forced you to grow stronger and be more resilient and be more courageous and take on different roles. It taught you how to do those things. You may have had to do that yourself, but you wouldn't have if that push wasn't there. And use the world around you. Not everything in life is given to us. The things that we have are blessings. The things that we don't have are things that we seek out and we try to find answers for. So don't give up on that path. I've learned so much about being a man through my parent, my friend's parents. You know, my mom wasn't really into basketball and my dad lived in Vancouver when I was in Winnipeg playing high school basketball. And so I got a lot of joy out of playing basketball and hearing what my friend's dads had to say about my game. That was my way of getting, you know, the, the feeling of like, oh, you played well or you did this or you did that. It was, you know, I had certain friends whose parents were there. There's, there's still ways to get things in your body. It might not be the conventional way that you thought, but it doesn't mean that you, you have to go down that, that narrow path of, I don't have it. So I'm not, I'm not going to either, I'm not going to, I don't have it. And I don't, want it in that form right kind of like i don't want it or i don't have it which means i don't need it kind of exactly exactly so i guess i guess piggybacking the, the the statement of if you don't have it you don't need it how do you think that that you know relates to to you in terms of your relationship with your father or lack thereof did you take that approach? Did you take the, if I don't have it, I don't need it? You know, this is the part that I mentioned at the beginning that I was anxious about talking about today. So let's do it. Let's dive in, baby. Uh, you know, I think I did, actually. I didn't really realize it until probably this moment, which attests, by the way, gentlemen, to the purpose of this is that we're learning as we go to because this isn't clearly defined for anybody. I think that growing up, I knew that he was there at first. I was young though, so I wasn't really super conscious. I wasn't really super awake. Like it was, I was still a child. I was young. And over time, there was a moment where I started just seeing him on the weekends. It wasn't all the time anymore. He wasn't in the house anymore. They obviously had, you know, separated in that space. And then there was another stepfather who came into the photo or into the, yeah, into the photo that I don't remember really being a father figure to me at all. There's no recollection of that. So it was clearly very short lived. And then there was my other stepfather, but through this whole process, my biological father and I slowly started to separate. And 
I think that that relationship being so strained in my view of him as someone who I didn't want to be around because I was starting to make that decision. I didn't want to go on the weekends anymore. It wasn't my thing. And so as that got more strained, I started to probably take on and adopt that mentality that I've come this far. I was, I think at the latest 12, I've come this far as in I've aged 12 years and I felt like I've done it without. So therefore I don't need that or I don't need to have it in my life. It's not a requirement for me to do things. Because at 12, I had just moved to a new school. I was excelling in sports. Things were starting to move in the right direction without that impact. And so there was never an inclination of like, oh, yep, I should probably have that. You felt the lack thereof and then just made a conscious decision of yeah, how so. you're going to deal with it. I think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to get kind of really into it with the relationship with the father thing, you know, at that point, there was a decision made where I wasn't going to see him at all anymore. And I was just speaking about this with my mother the other day. And it was brought up that when that happened, my entire life changed for me. And it was that your decision. uh, It was a complicated decision. We'll leave it at that. I had always thought it was my decision. Um, And that's kind of how I lived my life. But I was good with that. I felt like I made that call that I was like, this is not going to be a space that I'm going to enter in anymore. But when that transition happened, what ended up happening was my anger started to dissipate and my aggressiveness started to slowly dissipate and my grades went skyrocketed, junior high hit and I honor roll all three years, everything changed. And there was a change in school there as well, but it was just this whole process. It was very much a transformative bit of a restart, a complete restart. Exactly. And I was in like this maturing age of 11 turning 12 where I had switched schools. So that was a big impact and everything was just kind of aligning universally for me to get my shit together. And I, it's interesting to say that at 11, because yeah, I was going to say, usually that's when things are unraveling <laughs> 12, 13, 14. Yeah, I shouldn't have to feel or go through that at that space, but it's just ended up the way things went. Um, there were other repercussions that I felt later in life in high school and a little bit of potential, uh, I say potential, uh, in the short lived college experience that I had where that relationship still wasn't present, but the repercussions of it in the younger years were starting to come out and unravel and unfold, which was super unfortunate, but you can only learn with what shows up with you. So right now I don't have a relationship with my father. So, so how, so how it's evolved is it hasn't, it hasn't. Yeah. It's evolved in the way that, uh, the space has grown larger over time. And that's, Probably the best thing for me, for sure. Do you feel there's no desire to re- reconnect there at all? or There has as been. You're, as you're becoming more of a man? There has been. I think that there's just been questions that I feel like I never asked about my childhood and that the only person that could tell me were the people that were around at that time, like my mom and my aunt. And uh, those are the, were pretty much the only two. So if I were to ask them questions, I'm, I'm sweating, guys. Um, if I were to ask them questions, they would have the answers. But a lot of, I don't want, sometimes I didn't want the answers. I didn't want to know what it was. I, I liked my picture mm-hmm. and I kept my picture and I didn't change it until I was like, wait a second. Was that really how things went? Is this really how, cause then now I, I don't know. I don't feel like I have the facts anymore, 
So then I started seeking facts. I started asking questions. And I was like, you know what, maybe that this, maybe now that I'm in this space as a man, I feel comfortable doing this. And a lot went into that process that ended up me not doing it. And I feel super confident in my decision. I feel great about what I chose to do. I feel like it was definitely the right one. Something showed up that uh, showed me that for sure. Uh, things that I was not expecting. So I feel pretty good about it. So outside of, you know, like answers to questions or it sounds like a little bit more of like a closure to your childhood or just getting a better, fuller picture of what it looks like with everybody who was in there. What about a relationship? Is there no desire of having a relationship? With my biological father? Yeah. No, no. Just to get some questions answered and just to, to have some, some more clarity on your childhood. It would be the only, the only thing that you just said kind of you were, there is something that you've been interested in, but that's more just questions to answers about your childhood. Yeah. Not a relationship. No, never. I don't think I have any desire for a relationship specifically. Uh, I think where I'm at right now, it's a really comfortable space with how things dissipated how things yeah. went their own ways what that did for my life how far i've come since it all how i've grown have all evolved and elevated because of all of that i find it there's a level of curiosity i think there always will be um, i think that the only way i see that opening up as a space is um like this for example just literally sitting in a, in a room for an hour or two this is my questions I really just, honestly, I just want you to answer them. And that's all I'm expecting. And then moving from there. Mm. But like you said, the relationship part, I'm not really there for. Um, there was a, a, an experience uh, leading to incarceration recently that I found out about. So that stem steers me even farther away from that realm of right. building that relationship. Makes sense. Yeah. So whole different vibe, whole different vibe. How do you think that's affected you? Uh, well, I talked a little bit about how when I stopped seeing him, I wasn't any, really that angry anymore. No, more so you're like now. How do, now you think, how do you think? Because that's how do you think that's affected you as a man now? Uh, the okay. guy I'm looking in front of right now. Yep. How do you think that everything about your relationship with your father, the lack thereof, has affected you as a man? I think it goes back to that Tony Robbins quote about if you're going to blame him for all the bad, make damn sure you blame him for all the good. And the biggest good was that I saw everything I didn't want to be. Mm. I saw all the things that I wanted to steer far away from. And I wanted to do what I thought was the right thing to do in all of those situations that I could never control back in the day. And now I can. I pretty much just right now, I feel like in a way that space being as, let's say, unhealthy as it was taught me what healthy looked like in a way. I had to go seek those answers, but I just, I knew what unhealthy looked like. And so now I've, I'm constantly striving in any situation that I'm in to be the healthiest expression of a man I possibly can be, which is one of the reasons why I didn't resonate with the, for the boys movement and for the, um, the man up movements and all these things. Cause I didn't feel like they resonated with healthy expressions of manhood and I struggled with them and I was an outcast because of them and I got bullied because of them. Because I was kind of trying to sometimes be in and I would separate myself. It was a whole ordeal. So because I separated myself, I feel like I chose to, at a young age, answer the question of, you know, what does my high self look like right now? What would he do? And now I've maintained that question. So I feel like, like I said, it's kind of weird to say, but in a way, all of it was a really positive experience in what it taught me in the long run. And this is going to sound a little weird for a lot of people listening, but there's this thing out there that says 
we chose this. We chose who, who our parents were going to be. We, choose, we chose the timing. We chose the experiences that we weren't really going to be able to control yet. We chose all of this. Our soul chose this because it knew, we knew, our soul knew that we were going to be able to overcome it and that other people wouldn't. And so we knew our strength. We knew our power. We knew what we were capable of. And we knew that our soul also needed to learn what we learned through these processes, through these experiences. Mm -hmm. Our soul needed to learn that. So it literally chose this life before we were even born. I know that gets a little woo-woo spiritual uh, on you, but it just puts things into perspective. I know. These guys are looking at me like, what's what's wrong with this guy? (laughs) But it puts into perspective. (laughs) It puts it into respect, but a little bit of perspective, even if you believe it or not, if you just think about the question, if you chose this. I I, I mean, I think I resonate with a little bit of that for sure. Yeah, it's like if I chose this, oh, wait a second, then means I actually kind of asked for it, which means that means I'm capable of actually guiding through it and becoming better, you know? I think the part that I like a little bit, the part that I resonate more with that section is the 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 idea that um, I'm a very, I'm, I'm religious, so I'll just say it how, you know, feels it feels right to me is mm-hmm. that, you know, God is not going to give you a challenge that you can't overcome. Right. And that's when you're saying all of that, that's really what I feel is mm. that, you know, when I'm going through things or I'm going through experiences or I just, I just hold close to the chest that, you know, God wouldn't put me through a challenge that I can't overcome. I just need to do the work in order to stay in it long enough or stay focused or, you know, have more patience or have more empathy, use different versions of myself to overcome the hurdle itself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the person that you're bringing to the, cha- the challenge is the same person over and over again. And that what's being asked of you is to go home, bring someone new to the, to the, to the, to the problem. Mm. Find a different person of yourself to come back to the same problems and see if you can attack it a different way. And ultimately, I feel like what this podcast is doing is it's allowing, if you're struggling with certain areas of your life, why don't we leave taking some different information and come back to the problem with a more fuller expression of yourself? Because maybe some of these other qualities will help you solve these problems. Because they say the definition of insanity is, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the, the, I like your statement and it's like, you're not, you're only given as much as you can handle. And it's interesting because now that I hear that, I connect it even more deeper to my explanation of you chose this. Cause how do you say that? If that wasn't potentially a piece of the puzzle, you already knew you were going to handle it. And you, that means you weren't given anything more. I'm going to go. I'm going to go on a spiritual tangent here. We're not going to do it. Okay. Um, so then, dr- dr- drilling it back home, I talked about uh, my father' experiences, how it's evolved. Anwar, I think it's your turn, brother. Let's 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 chat. You know, I uh, I want to know about your you and your papito and how that relationship evolved for you. What was your father' relationship like? I mean, my dad was my dad was awesome, man. My dad is my dad is an amazing. Um, when I think about my childhood, you you know, you think about you were looking for those questions you're trying to get answered. I felt like I, like in my childhood, I have a very clear picture of my dad and I love it. I love the image Beautiful. of my dad Beautiful. when I was younger. Um, I think my dad is built for that challenge. You know, he was, my dad wasn't the kind of person who like, you would, you would, you would fall and scrape your knee and you, you know, you'd be upset and you, he would, he would empathetically deal with the problem. He would understand that you were hurt. 
try to tell you, try to distract you. He was just a classic. He was just a good, good guy. He was just a good guy. And he was my original like role model to a T, to a crisp. And I just loved everything about him. I remember we'd go play soccer with his, his older friends and he just had like great sportsmanship. Like he still got in it. Like he still would be edgy and competitive. <laughs> so and got stuck in. He yeah. Still, yeah, he would still do all those things. But I would see that if someone like fell or they got into a tussle, he would always apologize. He would always pick that person up off the floor. And I always picked up on those things that he was, he was just, he was just a soft, empathetic and I mean soft in a caring way. Like he was, he was, he could, he could absorb your feelings and really like hold them. And I loved that about him because my mom was spicy. So we kind of <laughs> needed it in the house to kind of create a little bit of balance. Got it. And so I loved, cause I didn't understand my mom's madness when I was younger because my mom just wants perfection. Right. So it's hard as a kid. It's like, Oh man, this woman, man, she just wants so much. And my dad was kind of the, he was kind of the, the pulse of reason and, Hey, your mom just wants you to be good. Mm. Instead of blaming your mom for why don't you figure out what to do? Always made you think. He was the kind of person who would ask you a question for your question mm. and take send you on your way. Never really told you what to do. And that's a chapter one of kind of the the frame of my dad, mm. my childhood. And I loved it. And you looked up in that moment to him as a man, right? Yeah, oh yeah. I I, I definitely did. Because at that point it wasn't really about I didn't even really understand women and men as different things. I saw humans at that time. Mm. And so I didn't even see the difference of like what a masculine trait was or a feminine trait was. I'm like, my dad's just a good guy. He's just a good human being. Right. He's just nice. Like he'll listen to you. He'll be compassionate. Um, and my mom's idea was, it wasn't that she was, my mom wasn't loving and compassionate. My mom was wicked. She showed mad love. But my mom also knew that if she doesn't lay down some rules and some guidelines, that kids will just always find a way to do lazy things and not like, you know, progress in life and not take things seriously. Yeah. She just would never let that happen. Mm. Um, but they played their roles. They kind of played Bonnie and Clyde. They kind of played, you know, good cop, bad cop. And it worked. And then I moved out when I was 18. Um, and this is the second chapter of, you know, my relationship with my dad and, as I started to deal with real men problems, my dad's personality didn't carry over to the next phase of my life. Interesting. As well. Because some of the challenges I was going through didn't really fit his personality to kind of help me through. Right. Okay. And it was, and a couple things. The, the first one being my dad was very much a person who could communicate non-verbally. He was a very non-verbal communicator. Like I said, he, you ask him a question, you ask you a question back, and then that was that. You know, he didn't overtalk. He he would show you his energy. You could see that he was upset, or you could see that he wanted you to think, and you would understand what time it was without all the extra words. And so when I left, and I like you know I started living on my own when I was eighteen, my dad was forced to have like our tra our communication line was through a telephone now, not like not in his not in his strength. Mm. Because now person. we need now we need words, because yeah. <laughs> we're not even any we're not even close. Right. And I'm dealing with real man challenges. I'm living on my own. It's my first time living on my own. I got a landlord who's expecting me to pay money. I got bills. I'm trying to go to university. I still want to play like like university basketball. I'm trying to figure out so many things. I'm trying to navigate so many things, and I wasn't didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to be asked about it. Mm. I didn't want to, cause I'm trying to show that I'm strong right now. Like I'm trying to, so I can handle this. 
right? So I was looking for someone to come in, step in and take the conversation and run with it. But my dad didn't have the ability to take a conversation and run with it. That wasn't his skill. Like that wasn't his repertoire. It wasn't his skill set. And so our relationship really got fragmented. And I, I absorbed the fuck it mentality. Just, I don't care. I don't need anybody. I'll do it all on my own. Because there wasn't anyone kind of, I guess, asking the right questions. Because there's, there's an ignorance when you're younger too, right? You don't want to admit that you need help. So oh, they, they probably asked. Like if I think back, it's not like my dad was probably ignoring me. He just probably was like, hey, how's the, how's the weather? And how are you doing? And you don't give an answer. And he doesn't probe or he doesn't ask a more intuitive question or a more direct question that forces you into a corner where you have to give me the right answer. He just was very surface level. And I think that like... I really needed, I really needed like, uh, like my dad at that time and he wasn't there and I didn't understand why he couldn't just figure out this parenting thing. Right. Just figure it out, man. Like you have a son, like figure it out. You should know. Like ask another question or like it's, it was mad (laughs) frustrating, you know, as a kid. And so I just said, screw it. I'm good. I'm good. I'll do this on my own. And then I almost flipped the switch where every conversation I was more asking him, like, well, how are you doing? Like I got over, like, don't even ask me about how I'm doing. It doesn't even matter. It really doesn't even matter, you know? And you wear that shield for so long. And that's when I really started suppressing stuff. Like I, cause I'm going through real challenges and no escape. So I'm really burying things like to my, to my soul, I'm burying it. And my outward projection for, I think 18 and 20, those two years was wildly negative. I wasn't even an optimistic human being. Everything was why me, I was, I was going down. I was, I was spiraling mm. because I just didn't have anywhere to go, but I had the homies. That was the one caveat is I had the boys and the boys for me were everything. And they weren't even the toxic. It was like my group of guys were guys who all were kind of cut from the same idea of wanting to be good people, wanting to be good. So we created an environment where we could talk and we could, and we had a, I have a group of 10, 10 best friends. We all hang out. You're not talking all 10, but in the 10, there's people that you could talk to. Right. There's, there was layers. You might not show everything to this person, but this person you show everything to. And in the community of our friendships, everyone kind of had someone's back right. where they got real. Very much like a role. There was roles being exactly. assigned and introduced and put forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you found your, your, your buddy buddy in the buddies, right. and that's who you confided in. You told the deeper stuff stuff that was really bothering you deep down inside. And then later on, we just, you know, it just evolved to this like great group of guys. But if it wasn't really for those guys and I don't think, I don't know how long it would have been buried for, you know, and I could see the, so to me, when I think about this podcast and what it does is this, I'm just trying to help create that space that was created for me when I thought I was going to go bury it to the, to the grave. I was telling nobody, I was just going to go headstrong and just forget about any kind of emotion and any kind of outward expression. But those guys didn't allow me to do it. You know, what's wrong with you? Why are you being like that? Why are you being like that? What is wrong with you? Why are you so angry? What's, well, why you so have such a negative approach to this? Why do you have? And so you're constantly being forced to have to get out of that headspace. And then, so how, how it's kind of evolved my relationship with my dad. I'm kind of in that third chapter now, you know, and I think, I think that's a common second chapter. I think that there's a lot of people that go through that where, you realize that your dad isn't who he, you wanted him to be. And instead of just understanding that that's it's just, it's not his skill set. He, he's also figuring this thing out. 
that's where I'm in this third chapter mm. is I see my dad as a human again. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of come full circle because now knowing how hard life is and how knowing all these different things that we have to balance, I can't force, I can't not think about my dad grew up in Africa. He's raising a kid in North America. Who taught him the questions to ask this kid who's going through these things? Then I go, you get it even deeper. I started learning about my dad's relationship. Mm. He wasn't really close with his parents either. He was never asked, how are you doing? He was never cared for in the way that I expected to be cared for. So it's deeper than just what I'm feeling for my dad. It's what did he go through to get to here only for him to then pass it on to me. Right. So if my dad struggles to show affection and love in his own family group, what makes it any different? He's just, he's just literally being himself and figuring this thing out. And then I left the house and made it even harder for him to, he struggles trying to figure it out with people in front of him. Now he has a son that's not even in front of him anymore. And so the humanity of it all, I'm at the point now where I'm old enough to understand that it's not fair. Just we, these people have titles, but they're just working it out. They're just figuring it out themselves. And the title of being a father was given to him, but he wasn't given the job description. He was just given the title. He had mm -hmm. to figure out the job description. And I'm out here just like, you didn't, you forgot duty one, you forgot <laughs> duty two. And he's like, these weren't even on the, this wasn't given to right. me. I'm, I'm filling out the job description as I go. So can you just have a little bit more patience with me? But he couldn't even communicate that. So it just, it just ends up fizzling out and fragmenting. And cause part of the role is you don't, you know what you're doing. That's just what you're supposed to do. So to admit that you don't, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't even come across as a thought. I don't, I don't, that wasn't on my checklist, wouldn't be a conversation. It would just be an attempt at trying to figure out how to check that box off, mm -hmm. even if it's done poorly. I love that. And for everybody listening right now, there's a level of where we have a lot of good fortune in our generation. We're, I'm 28, Anwar is 29, and we grew up in an information age. And so the reason that so many people are going through this inner child work and this shadow work and looking at their childhoods and choosing to break cycles is because we now have the access to that information. Mm -hmm. We can now see people across the world making these changes and see them and how they parent and be literally in their living rooms watching them do this. But our parents did not have that opportunity and their parents did not have that opportunity. So for them, there was no even attempt or vision or... There was no clarity on, should I break this cycle? Breaking the cycle doesn't even exist. It was just, you do what everybody had done before previously. And so we're kind of in this space where we get this opportunity to do that, but then we can take it the wrong way and say, why didn't you do it? Well, mm -hmm. How come you didn't do it, right? Yeah. There's no compassion to that, but we have to, we have to find that compassion because it's not their fault. The statement goes, they're doing the best with what they were given. And we were given a completely different set of advantages. Right. So I love that you brought that point up. That's powerful. I, and I want to wrap, I kind of want to wrap my point up there with the point of saying the person who's come to the realization of those things, the person that's come to the realization of 
being able to see my dad as a father and as, as a human being, just trying to figure it out. I'm not leveraging my tough side to understand that. It's my empathetic side that's understanding that. It's my compassionate side that's understanding that. Because if I go down the route of, let's say, the traditional masculine man, the way I would perceive my dad is, figure it out. And that's not the right answer. Mm. So I, I'm just trying to be more, more conscious of understanding that with using different emotions and different expressions will lead you to different answers. And being the tough and all of that, that's only going to lead me to seeing my dad as someone who couldn't figure it out, who should have figured it out. It just gets, it gets, it gets more intense. It doesn't solve the problem. The other side of the equation, some of these other qualities that we're trying to introduce allow you to see a, a better picture of my dad and other men out there. And that's what I think is important. So gentlemen, with all that being said, take it all in. Everything that we said, everything that we just went through with opening up our, to our stories, opening up our experiences with our fathers and what that's taught us and how we've learned from it all, take it all in. And really take a moment to self-reflect. I know that you might be driving right now. I know that you might be at the office. You might be working. You might be busy while you're listening to this. But we really encourage you to come back to this and just take some points from it. Write them down. Shine a light on those dark and scary parts of yourself that may be hidden. It's going to be super, super valuable because there's a lot we learn from our parents and our childhood. And for us as men, we definitely learn a lot from our fathers. Reflection is powerful. Reflection is powerful. And if you've already done some of that work and you've kind of already been through that journey, we still encourage you to take a different approach and maybe take courageous action and have a conversation about it. It's definitely one thing to talk to yourself about it, to journal. That's super therapeutic. But there is something completely different about having a conversation, whether it's with those actual family members, a close friend, or a stranger you meet on the bus. They might not judge you as much. They might, you might not feel as they're judging you as much. But the point the point is, it's to talk about it. It's incredibly vital that we talk about it on some level. And it will really help with our overall mental health. Yeah, find your people. Find who your person is. And really, really dig deep to find the courage to speak about it. Um, I promise you'll feel, you'll definitely feel better about the picture. If you, if you find, find, find the time and space to do that. And there are a lot of other resources as well uh, online that you can get into. There's a lot of men's health spaces. There's a lot of online therapy. I know therapy sounds aggressive and it sounds overwhelming, but I highly encourage it. And it's done absolute wonders for so many people in my life. It's something I will be doing in the future. So take those spaces and utilize them. A lot of them are covered by benefits. So we really encourage you to take those choices. Amen. Amen. And that's it. That's it for the podcast, folks. We got one last thing. You know what it is. It's going to be a PQ for you leading into next episode. And this one's a powerful one. You ready for it? I'm ready. What is your relationship with yourself? Yourself. You. Not anybody else. You. You and you. You versus you. That's what we're talking about. That's your PQ for this week. Fellas, 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 thank you for joining us on another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. 
If you haven't yet, please download, subscribe, leave a review. But most importantly, if you took any value out of this episode or you enjoyed this episode, please post and share with your close family and friends. You can follow us at our online IG account, which is at Modern Masculinity. Make sure the C is a K. Remember, we're trying to represent the mask that men wear. So at Modern Mask, Unity Podcast. You can also follow us on our private socials. Mine is at Coach Kyle Rushton. And mine is Anwar Ahmed 4. And uh, any kind of post share that you do helps us kind of build this community one listener at a time. So we appreciate um, all your efforts. And remember, we're here with you and we are standing tall beside you in this arena of misunderstood masculinity. Until next time, peace.